Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Conan. Dennis Dick with you this morning. Jam-packed show, as you can imagine. Earnings coming out the wazoos. We've got uh, Tesla, Microsoft, Twitter, Southwest, Chipotle. I, we're just going to try to cover as many of them as we can. All right, say that up front. Uh, and also a big day for guests. We've got Mark Chaikin at 8:15. We've got Ryan Dietrich from LPL Financial at 8:35. And at nine, I'll be talking with the CEO and CFO of Electromechanica. The ticker on that is SOLO. So a lot to get to between earnings and guests. Let's throw it to Joel now. Joel gives a quick update here on what happened in the overnight session, and then we'll try to cover as many earnings as we can in the next hour. Throw yourself on mute and let's roll. Good morning, Spencer. How's everyone doing here on this uh, big Thursday earning bonanza day? We got a lot to cover. Let's first go to the S&P 500 index futures. They are trading in the green by $9 and nine handles, nine and a half handles. Your pre-market high comes in at 84.50, pre-market low at 54 and a half. And, uh, Man, folks, we just had a little dip to mid-range there, and then uh, we're right back. So keeping an eye on 71.50. Little bit different layout for you here today, folks. Uh, Mr. Gary uh, was helping me with uh, the trade station yesterday. So you just got the S&Ps down here in the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, that's your 30-minute chart. Let's look at the gold market. Gold is trading in the green once again, making its move towards 1900. Current high 1887.90. It's up eight dollars and thirty cents, 1873.70. Silver, whoa, 
70 cents off its high, got up to 23.67, now down 23 cents. And Bitcoin, Bitcoin clears that uh, 9,500. The Bitcoin futures are up $140 here at 9,565. Bottom of the trading range. Let's see if we can get back up to that 10,000 dollar trading range uh triple d good morning to you a lot of earnings to talk about we've got earnings we got new charts i kind of like the four chart system we got to teach you to draw lines though once you can draw lines i do but you know what are we you'll really do we it, really Joel. draw lines Dennis? i want to draw yeah i like drawing the trend lines but you you always talk about how you never draw lines you don't look at trend lines you no, don't no, like i look at trend lines. that's all i let stop i don't use those moving average i don't okay. use moving averages I, because I believe it's a lagging indicator. I don't use all the other fancy lines. I use the Jeff Mackey purple crayon. Jeff, shout out to you, buddy. Jeff okay. Mackey purple crayon. We want a purple line for the Jeff Mackey purple crayon. And then we're bringing Jeff Mackey on. The first day that we get the Jeff Mackey purple crayon drawing, we're bringing Jeff Mackey Tomorrow. on to celebrate it. I don't know if I can make Give it him purple. a shout out. Have we had, I think we had Jeff once, didn't we, on the show? Yeah. Hey, Jeff back. He'll come on. Uh, you reach out to him. You're the uh, worldwide market <laughs> celebrity. Want me to reach out to Jeff? Go get Jeff on. I, yeah. I always, I, I gotta tell you, like the original Fast Money people, I was very disappointed when Jeff left because um, I really enjoyed always Jeff's analysis, and I think he does a great job. We do. Benzinga does have a relationship, obviously, with uh, Jeff, and we know him well, so we can bring him on. I, I talk about it because, but I, the, the purple crayon. I mean, it's the best. He was saying that back in 2007 when Fast Money started, 2008. And I remember him just saying, you know, take your purple crayon and draw your line. You know what? That's the simple, that's how I do technical okay. analysis. Just the simple trend line. Follow the simple trend line. Stocks and uptrends, buy and dips. Stocks and downtrends, selling rips. Stocks that are just going nowhere, buying dips and selling rips. So, All right. Well, we will work on the purple grand. I'm not making any promises uh, you're gonna for get it. tomorrow. You let Bye. me know when you got it, and we're reaching out to Jeff then. Okay. Well, Let's talk. Where do you want to go? Because we might as well talk Tesla. with the granddaddy of them all, Mr. Israel. Everybody's talking about it. Tesla, the profitability, the S&P 500 ad. Give us the details. Yep. Uh, I love what Open Outcryer tweeted this morning. Uh, he summarized this report. Basically, here's what he said. Tesla earnings reports are nothing short of amazing. They somehow increase both the bullish and bearish arguments at the same time. And he's absolutely right. If you were bullish yesterday, you're probably still bullish today, if not more so. If you were bearish, you're probably even more bearish today. Uh, so here's the numbers. Uh, EPS on a gap basis, 50 cents. That's right. In the positive, they made money last quarter. Hallelujah. Index inclusion. Here we come. Yeah. Uh, the adjusted EPS number $2.18. Both of those numbers beat the estimate. They also, uh, I think they missed slightly on the sales figure, but the EPS is really what people were, were looking out for. So there was the EPS beat. There was, of course, a delivery. Oh, I'm sorry. They did also beat on, on revenue. $6.6 billion versus $5.23 billion. They also beat on deliveries. They said they delivered a little over 90,000 cars in the quarter. Analysts were looking for deliveries of 72,000, so they beat that number. Confirmed the next uh, major plant in Austin, Texas. Um, and a lot of things said on the call, but those things were all good. It was all, yeah, it was all pretty good news. They even said, Elon Musk says, we're getting better at making cars. That was interesting from the conference call. That was his quote. We're getting better at making cars. I'm like, that's a good thing that they're getting better at making cars. The number one automotive company in the world by market cap is getting better at making cars. That's a good thing. 
So anyways, uh, I got multiple thoughts here on Tesla. I want to sure. throw it to our technical analyst first, though, Joel Alconan, <laughs> to talk the after hours levels and the technicals, and then I'm going to go on a Tesla rant. Okay. All right. Well, man, I don't know. I mean, it did, it, it was trading much higher than this, right? After the headline number, what did we get to? We got to 17.1647. That's short of the all time high. And we've backed off that $70. So I will say you're not going to get back up to 17.1647 today. I mean, it's really been a muted trade uh, since then. Can we uh, see the after hours chart? I don't see uh, it. Upper left. Upper There's so left. Many, it's so many charts going on here, Joel. Okay. Okay. So well, let me let's explain re- to Let's you. explain the new chart configuration. 15 I'm... minute. 15 minute. Okay. Upper left. Yeah. Okay. Daily. Yeah. To the right. Yeah. And then a weekly. Okay. And then a weekly. And then I did have a monthly over here, but you know, since we talk about the index so much and we talk about the S and P, I figured I'd, you know, put the 30 minute S and P right here. And I'll, if I want to throw my commodities in there. So there's your 30 minute S and P right there, 15 minute daily on the right and then weekly here. Right. So you get a good perspective. You know, we like to talk about. So this is the pre-market trading. Uh, I got to work on the colors and the fonts. Give me another day on that. But take my word for it. We got up to 1767 or I mean, 1716. Since we've hit that level, we fell all the way to 1620. Uh, That's uh, that's your pre-market. But you know what I'm going to do? This is kind of tight. I'm just going to, you know, keep an eye on the close from yesterday. And the close from yesterday in Tesla was 15.68.36. We're about 100 bucks above that. Top of yesterday's range, I'll use the support, 16.26. Yeah. And then I just think you're going to find various sellers ahead of that pre-market high. So support, 16.26, and resistance ahead of the pre-market high. That's a nice round number like 17. It started to leak. It's leaked some of the gains. What I do want to say is the straddle went off the board at 210 bucks. So now we're looking at the stock trading up 60. I mean, we still have two days left expiration, but some of that premium is going to be sucked right out here because the earnings event has now passed us. So kind of wish I would have wrote the straddle, talked about doing it. We Obviously, talked about I it a lot, not. yeah. We talked about it a lot. I really wanted to do it, and I didn't do it. But 200, maybe somebody did. 210 bucks is 58 right now. So obviously at this point, it's making money. I don't see a huge move coming in either direction for Tesla here. So I think the straddle writers are rejoicing here this morning because we did not get the kind of move that obviously a lot of option buyers thought we would in either direction. Uh, Thoughts on the S&P possible addition. So multiple thoughts here. Obviously, they've hit the criterion. It's going in. They're going to announce it. It's like, you know, it's, it's inevitable at this point in time, at least in my opinion that Tesla will eventually be added to the S&P probably sooner than later. Um, one thing to consider, and I have you know traded and watched the S&P announcement headlines and traded around those headlines for probably 10 years. So I have a lot of experience what the reaction is when a stock gets added to the S&P. And I can tell you, years ago, it seemed like it was just always a slam dunk. They get added to the S&P 500 and they go up five, seven, sometimes depending on the size of the company, sometimes as much as 10% on the announcement. Huge pop sometimes. In the last year to two years, yeah, it's been mixed. They don't always go up when they're added to the S&P on the announcement, believe it or not. 
Now, there's multiple reasons for that. Um, one is when you're coming out, when you're going into the S&P 500, you're coming out of another index. So we have to look at the index effects. Was you know the company that's coming out of the index, and let's say they come out of the 400 to go into the 500, are they a bigger component in the 400 and just a little Mickey Mouse component in the 500 because the index effects itself could actually be selling pressure then. So it depends on you know the amount of shares. That's not going to be the case in Tesla. That won't happen with Tesla. That will not happen with Tesla because Tesla is going to be a huge component in the S&P. So it's going to be indexers. It's going to be a net buy. So you don't have to worry about that. What you need to worry about is, is the trade crowded? And what that means is, is short-term speculation, the people who are along just for the index announcement, are those traders' shares amounting to more than what the indexers need to buy. We see this typically on the Russell rebalance where a trade will get crowded and you'll actually see something getting added to the Russell go down on, on the day it's going you know, on the Friday, the fourth Friday. So it depends on whether the trade is crowded or not. So one, there's, those are the two effects. You don't have to worry about that. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's such a huge component that it's going to be a smaller component in the S&P 500 because it's going to be a big component in the S&P 500. I think, what did they say, Spencer? How big? Like top like 13 or something, isn't it? Well, as of the close, Tesla yeah. was the 16th most 16th. valuable company. That was as of the close. So it's yeah. been since then. So yeah, so there you go. Um, so on Tesla, that's not going to be a problem with the indexing. But is the trade crowded? So don't just necessarily, all I'm saying, a warning to people who are just buying this saying, well, they're going to announce it and it's got to go up on that. It doesn't have to do anything. That's all I want to say. It doesn't have to do anything. Sometimes trades do get crowded. And believe it or not, there's the possibility. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there's a possibility that this gets announced into the S&P 500, maybe in the next week or two, and the stock actually goes down in the announcement. That can happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm saying it can happen because people you know, are, are saying, no, there has to be those indexes that buy. It has to go up. I have learned one thing in the stock market over my 20 years is that a stock doesn't have to do anything. So I'll just say people who are just randomly buying here right now saying it has to go up because, and I know I'm safe. I can buy at 1640, even if it pulls down to 1500. I know it's going back up when they announce the S&P 500 index. It doesn't have to do anything. It's still a risky trade. I'm not putting it on. It, it's disappointing to a certain extent here that the stock has given back a lot of its after-hours gains. Um, it's only up 47 points here now. Obviously, they blew it out of the park um, with the numbers, and the stock is kind of just, you know, it's up 3%. It's not really flying here. So that's somewhat concerning. I think Joel gave you a good number with the highs. I'd look at yesterday's high, at, or two days ago, 1675 as a resistance yeah. now. Obviously, huge resistance up at 1794. I think that's out of play. Yep. Um, it could just meander here for a few days, waiting for the announcement too. It, it's allowed to do that as well. But I'd just be careful chasing Tesla just because you think it's getting out of the S&P. That's my point. And, and uh, I looked at the numbers. So they they were, uh, was it, they were more satisfied with they had, that they, you know, that they're building cash. Um, you know, I see the EPS beat. I mean, they're, 
I think the big thing that you know people were worried about this company was the cash situation. And if they're adding cash, then that's just gonna that's just gonna aid the production, right? So I mean, I there's think- no worries on liquidity in Tesla anymore. That is long gone because they can raise capital. I mean, if they need to raise capital, they can raise it in a heartbeat. <laughs> so there is zero worries about liquidity on Tesla anymore. Those, those arguments, those bearish arguments, cease to exist at this point in time. Maybe later on. They, maybe they come back, but at this point in time, the argument that Tesla's running out of cash, they're not even burning cash anymore. So those arguments are long gone. And, you know, we can't analyze anything from valuation because we know it's a story stock. And like I said, when a stock is carried on a story, valuation doesn't matter. So as long as the story remains hot, you cannot look at this and say, oh, uh, it doesn't make any sense that it's the most valuable car company in the world and it's producing a tenth of the cars that Toyota is. You can't analyze it like that. <laughs> and the argument you know, that it's a technology company is valid as well. I mean, Gene Munster was saying it on CNBC last night. They have, you know, and Jason Rasnick has said it for a long time. You know, Jason Rasnick's been a bull for a long time and correctly right. I mean, there is, you know, the argument that this is going, just going to be car company. It's going to have other businesses as well. Or he does with the solar panels. So, I mean, there is other businesses. There is the possibility. We know Elon Musk is, a, you know, a very smart person. So, you know, there, there is, you know, reasons to, you know, other reasons to look at this. And you can't just say, oh, car company, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, we've said that for a while, though. I'm not buying at 1650 because I think, you know, I don't know when the story cools off, but I will trade it. And when I have a setup, I'll trade it. Like, you know, like Spencer Israel gave us that setup right before. It's a pre Spencer, product, you're going to live on that. Which for worked like well. Months. Well, he worked, it worked well. It's a perfect setup. Should retire. Just retire one. right there. Just drop the mic. You know what? Let's, wait, we got a lot to cover. I'm just going to say the more I look at this 15 minute chart here and the more that I look at yesterday's high, the more I'm falling in love with this 1620. 1626 level you bought you bounced down to 1620 twice that was in the area of yesterday's high i just i mean to me all all indications pointing north as long as this thing stays above 1620 below 1620 i think it gets dicey yesterday's low and well you got a pair of lows but you're holding forever rachel you're holding for the the 20,000 price target uh, we'll let we'll let Dana and Emily decide what to do. <laughs> You're just gonna pass this stock on to your children once you know. Hey, uh, real fast, <laughs> I, I just want to bring on Mark Chaikin here. He's the founder of Chaikin. Yeah, uh, Mark, uh, what would you? What advice would you give to anyone who who has held Tesla and isn't sure what to do with it right now? Well, that's a tough call. I think you know, takes approaches uh, that old 1800. Hi, um, but you guys have nailed it. It's a story stock. It can go anywhere. I don't think the uh, inclusion of the S&P 500 really is that big a deal because so many people have front run that. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and so, uh, hey, look, it's, it's achieved a totally different status than it had when it was struggling to get above 600. <laughs> and it's not that long ago. Uh, this is now beyond a cult stock. It's a must-have for a lot of people who believe that technology is going to rule the world. So, for just from this perspective, then, Mark, it's like if you if you've been a eternal, and obviously, you know, some of us have been bullish, some of us have been bearish. But if you've been a person that's been sitting on this bear train here for Tesla. Um, obviously, you know, we've seen the short interest drop dramatically here. So a lot of shorts have bailed long ago. Um, 
is it time to just call it call it and say you know i was wrong oh absolutely unless you get a quarter or a series of quarters where the numbers just totally fall flat and you know you've got to assume elon musk is not cooking the books but there have been years when i thought you know based on his tweets and some of his actions that maybe he was uh, in some sense cooking the books or moving the numbers forward. These numbers look very real. So, uh, you know, if you're short here, why? Todd, let's, let's jump over to a couple other reports. We had Microsoft last night and Spencer, we can jump into the, to the numbers in a second, but I just want to get Mark's quick thoughts here too, because I, I said yesterday, I said Tesla is important in the market, but Microsoft is very important in this market as well. And Microsoft did somewhat disappoint. I mean, from, you know, they, they beat and they beat and the numbers were okay, but they didn't beat the higher expectations. And that's why the stock has leaked a bit here. Thoughts on Microsoft and thoughts on tech overall? I still like tech. I think tech is actually your defensive trade. If you're looking to be defensive, if you're looking to be risk on, you, you go into the reopening stock. So uh, I think the... First of all, I felt that this would be a sell-the-news-type earnings season, except in biotech. Biotech is off the charts. But I think Microsoft disappointed on cloud growth. It was under 50% for the first time in a while, revenue growth in their cloud business. So I'm looking to buy these stocks on pullback. Stocks like Adobe, Microsoft, NVIDIA, I think. More to go based on the idea that people need to be invested and they're underinvested right now, and these are the names they're going to gravitate toward. That's a really interesting comment about tech being defensive and and retail and reopening being like the risk on trade. I guess it makes sense. It jives with what we've seen recently. Uh, just real fast on the Microsoft, that their earnings were good. The the guidance was light. They gave the guidance on the call. I think people kind of, once they said that, people kind of assumed it was going to be a, a white number on the guidance. Uh, so that's that may be why is why you saw Microsoft a leak in the after hours session. But regardless, tech is tech is tech. Uh, Mark, any final thoughts here before I let you go on any of the reports we saw yesterday or this morning or what you're seeing out there? Twitter is impressive. Uh, I like the action uh, yeah, Twitter is know, in the. Uh, Post-market. One aside, uh, there's an academic paper that was published uh, recently by two um, academics in California, and their conclusion was stocks that get put into the S&P actually help the other stocks in the same industry that are already in the S&P. It's a very detailed paper. It's it's almost uh, based on the club, the exclusive club theory, and that once you get in, competition sort of drops a little bit because you're not as scrappy, and so it helps the other companies in the index. They document the damn thing. I'm not sure you can make any money on that, but it'd be interesting to watch. Do you know what the paper's called? Under that theory. Do you know what that paper's Uh, called? I don't. I'll I'll find that. Maybe tweet it out. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And, you know, they they were focused uh, similar to what you were talking about, Dennis, that it's not so much getting into the index. It's what it does to the other stocks in the index in the same industry. And that's a good and it, point. As a positive, I, it's a deep paper. I, I, I scanned it. All right. Mark Chaikin is, is the founder of Chaikin Analytics. Mark, thanks for the time today. My pleasure. Be good, one. Stay safe. All right. All right uh, just quick commentary on uh, Mr. Softy here. I was watching this trade um, after hours, after the report, and I see a 204.52 low, but I'm telling you, 
someone loved the saying at 205 last night. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be there again. I don't even know if we're going to get down there again. But when you see right, the original spike was to 0452, then in the brackets, next bracket was 0491, then the couple highs were above 205. That just means someone had like a trillion to buy there at 205, and they weren't moving. They weren't paying 205. By the dip, Joel. Well, yeah, they, they weren't buying 20560 or 20570. They were hawking that 205 area. And I don't they know. They came if to they, 205. They said, "Come to Papa." They come to Papa. They let it get a little bit below, but that there's one point. Like when I look at a chart like that, and I see that after hours action, and I see that I'm like, okay, there's a big gun accumulating stock here. Yeah. And yep. that's a level to lean on if you're trading it. When you can identify these levels, and Joel's absolutely correct, you know, and sometimes you can just see them with an iceberg order. An iceberg order is an order that's sitting there at 205, and you hit it again and again and again, and it's showing 100, and, but it's not moving. It's letting you know, okay, well, this is a big fish. It's just showing 100 shares, but it might have like 100,000 there to buy. It might have 50,000 there to buy. It might have only 1,000 there to buy. Um, there's also algorithms that, you know, just might be running and saying, okay, lift any offer. You know, I can put a 204 order or 200 order out there, put five bucks worth of discretion on and lift any offer that goes to 205. I use those orders all the time. It's called discretionary order. So, you know, I stay out of the market, but it's allowing me to lift the offer instantaneously if it gets offered there because the order is already on the exchange's bucks. So, you know, there's lots of different order types that make that happen. But point Joel's making is there somebody big was buying a 205 and the stock was obviously struggling to get to go down through that. And those big fish can stop the stock from going down. And they absolutely did with Microsoft last night. So Joel's saying gets back down to 205 again, that person or, or algorithm might still be there. So that's a level where you would think it would bounce if it gets down there again. And uh, conversely, uh, I got a good feeling for this one on the upside, too, because you had a pair of lows. This was on the daily. I talked about this yesterday, uh, 208.03, 208.39. Now, you're getting a little bit above that. Your bump, your highest bump has been 875. But your buyers from the last two days, they were in at that level. It's old, old, uh, old support, new resistance. So it's going to change the daylights between 205 and 209. Uh, you know, where you take your positions and stuff is, you know, up to you. But just big, thick stock like that, yeah. and you can, you can identify it. I'm just going to look for that today and just bounce around in that area. But for me, at, like if I was long Microsoft besides via I am know, long, the spider, I would I wouldn't have any fears until this thing took out like two oh five even on a closing basis. So th that's just looking at the tech. Spencer, you had a bold call with Brent. You you said Microsoft could go positive by the open. I don't know if we're gonna see that, right. but you know, maybe we I, see it today. <laughs> I said that yesterday before the conference call started. I, I just saw and I knew they were gonna give guidance, but I saw Tesla uh up and I saw Microsoft down and I thought they're they're gonna buy the dip in Microsoft and they're gonna come in and and uh and and, and sell their rip in tesla uh, well they've done that they've done that to a certain bit. extent so you're halfway bit. there yeah i'm halfway there um i don't think you're gonna buy the open but you could get it by the end of the day just I, wouldn't say, stock, I wouldn't surprise you know? me if tesla went red microsoft went green it would not surprise me again full disclosure i'm on microsoft but that's long-term investment again. i i don't think i don't think you'll see either it's a long ways to go. Full <laughs> yeah, stocks. Yeah, exactly. Tesla dropped another 58 Microsoft rallying another, you know, three and a half points. It's a long ways to go for both stocks, but it's, it's, it's on its way there. Halfway All there right. from 205. Let's, let's, Twitter. 
because nice. we got yeah we got Twitter Twitter Twitter, Twitter. On. Twitter 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 Twitter's EPS number is not a comparable to the estimate they had a, a non cash deferred tax uh, asset so that oh, EPS number is coming out. out the door revenue six hundred eighty three versus seven hundred seven million dollars so miss on that number monetizable daily active users 186 million versus 172 million estimate that's 34 percent growth on a year-over-year basis the largest uh year-over-year growth since they started tracking that number they talked about so dau growth that's one thing and then advertising spending contraction that's the other thing they did say they did see a rebound in ad spending in in the back half of the quarter so now the question is does ad spending recover fully this quarter? Uh, the the growth in daily active users is not necessarily a surprise, nor is the fall or the decline in ad spending. But how those trends uh, continue is going to be the story here. We uh, also have the fact that Snap the day before set the bar low for Twitter. Um, we know Snap, Twitter, Facebook, all you know they don't track each other, but they're all related. And, you know, when we looked at the Snap earnings, they were hitting Twitter a little bit on the earnings and they were hitting Facebook a little bit on the earnings. So you set the bar low for Twitter. It easily got over that low bar when you're looking at that user growth. And, you know, you're seeing a good pop in it. Full disclosure, I'm still long Twitter. It is in my account, but it was not designated a forever hold. So I bought this near 30. It's getting near 40. It has run into trouble before at 40. Part of me wants to ring the register today and say, you know, I think, you know, we've struggled here multiple times around 39, 40 bucks. Maybe we struggle again. The other part of me says, why can't this become a long-term investment? So, you know, part of me, like I always said, you can let a trade become a long-term investment um, if it's working for you. And somebody, you know, so, so part of me thinks I still like the Twitter story. I don't think it's going away. Valuation isn't, you know, cheap, but it's not ridiculous either. Um, I'm torn. Are you still on Twitter, Joel? Yeah, I am, and I really like. Are you torn to, too? Are you yeah. are you as torn as I am? Well, I'm in it. I've been in it longer, and I'm in lower. So I, I mean, I just, I just can't believe the company can't make a billion dollars. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, when are they going to make a billion dollars? Is what I want. I mean, well, they're yeah, not worried they about making six... money, though. They're just worried about growing the top line, like every other growth company out there. Yeah, but I we mean, don't look... we we don't reward profits, yeah. Joel. We we reward <laughs> growth in this growth. market. Who cares about profits? Is Twitter Amazon set that model years ago that you don't have to worry about the bottom line if you're growing the top line? So I guess the top line isn't you know been awesome at Twitter though either. You don't want to hear something interesting, too, is that I think the opening print was at 44, and it went to 40, and I can't remember where it closed the first day, but, you know, we're looking at the weekly here. That doesn't do justice to actually how it's gone absolutely nowhere. It had that big bolt to 75, and then it puked down to 13 when I wanted to buy the company. Um, you were going to take it private. You and I Sean were going to go private. Yeah, we tried. We tried. We, we made them an offer, but they didn't take it. It was either <laughs> they had a choice between us and Salesforce.com and Disney. <laughs> and uh, no, we got it. You know what? I, with this one, I mean, I haven't, I haven't been playing it short term like I haven't, you know, in the past with the options. Just kind of, 
got bored with it. Let's see if we can hold 39. We're returning to the scene of the crime here. Uh, we were back up at this $39 area before the whole, uh, you know, the virus. Up, yeah, 38 $39.06. We're trading at 39 even. So if you're going to buy this thing at 39 and saying it's going to 40 you don't want to see this thing at 38.75. You know what I mean? They, you they're really unload. You want to see it all. Exactly what we said about IBM the other day. Remember? Yeah. Like if you're buying this thing, yeah. and actually IBM did get a little pop, but when it came back down through they the open, that all it. whoops trade. So yeah. that's the same way I feel about Twitter when I uh, when I go to a weekly here uh in twitter this number up here this is going back a long time folks uh october of uh 2019 you hit 4048 but if you don't think there's some institutional sellers there at 40 then ugh, i don't know hasn't been there in a long time but that um, yeah that's uh full disclosure i'm holding it let's see if we can hold 39 that's a big level in twtr and i'm uh, kind of sick of it too like i like i see what you've had for lunch and then I see, you know, all these advertisements, and then I get some new, like TikTok. How can I get rid of TikTok on my Twitter? Uh, <laughs> I don't mind the little TikTok. Videos. Yeah, I know I we've gone to this before, yeah. but I, I'm kind of on my on my phone. I'm just kind of, I don't know, too many ads. But right. that's what they need to make money, right? Real quick, we just got initial jobless claims for last week. It did go up on a week over week basis. So 1.4 million claims filed last week for say 1.3 million uh, number of the week prior. So and that number is going up here. We're going to be joined by Ryan Dietrich from LPL Financial in a couple of minutes. Between uh, before then, let's just do a couple more earnings. Let's do uh, South. Um, Southwest. Let's do two oh. of the airlines. Do them together. Yeah, Southwest Airlines. I'll start there. Uh, they lost. The revenue fell 83% uh, last quarter on a year-over-year basis. They lost $2.67 per share. Uh, sales of one, a little over $1 billion. I, I mean, like I said, down 82% year-over-year. Capacity down 20% year-over-year. Operating sales down. Uh, this is what they see, actually, for August. Operating sales down 70 to 80% year-over-year. <laughs> I mean, just – they also said they signed a uh, – a letter of intent with the U.S. Treasury for a $2.8 billion loan earlier this nice. month. But, I mean, just not good. Not good at all. Did you ever fly Southwest when they had the seats in the back where you faced the other person? Did you guys ever fly that? This was oh. back when they first started, when I used to fly between Chicago and Detroit. The last six seats and maybe the six seats in the front, three they were facing each other. Yeah, they were backwards. That's and fun. I flew from Detroit to Chicago for nine ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah, that was a lot. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but me. But are they going to give uh, Love a pass again? I mean, you know, that's what they did last quarter with these airlines. Uh, not a big bounce down, nineteen cents. UAL didn't move off much off its earnings. It leaked a bit. I yeah. mean, we know they're going to be bad. They're bad. There's just no interest in the airline stocks right now. I mean, stop and look at both of them, and we don't even need the numbers for American Airlines. They're both yeah. the same. I mean, you think about the market and what it's done in the last month. We've been talking about this. And we went from 300 to 327, roughly. You know, you could call it an 8 to 9% move now in the S&P. In that same time period, LUV has gone nowhere. It's slightly down. American Airlines is down. Uh, UAL is down. 
I mean, Boeing is, you know, sitting there. It hasn't gone anywhere. So they aren't going down anymore, but they're not going up with the market. The relative strength has been horrible. just horrible for these things. Is there going to be short squeezes? Is there going to be little pops? There has been. But every time they've popped, it's been a selling opportunity. And I just think, you know, you hear the American Airlines CEO on CNBC this morning, and his outlook isn't good. I mean, you know, they know. They, they're like, they said, you know, what they said was, you know, their, their numbers are not going to come back until we have a vaccine. He said it. I mean, they're being honest, and I appreciate the honesty. But, you know, even if we get a vaccine, how many people are going to, you know, say, I'm not taking that? There's going to be some people doing that. Travelers, and then the permanent part problem, you know, is the business travel that might not come back as, as it was before. Hard to own them. Hard to own the airlines. Yes, maybe we get a vaccine tomorrow, and, and maybe these things roll back. But until that day... It, it, there's the possibility, and Southwest is the best run, run airline, but there's still the possibility, it's burning a lot of cash, that these companies are going to have to do some serious equity raises, more dilution coming, and the possibility that they might not be able to raise the cash where they want to raise it. So, you know, bankruptcy is not off the table for some of these smaller carriers. Not yet. And actually, it's good that we're bringing our guest on now, Ryan Dietrich from LPL Financial, because the last time Ryan was on, he actually is the one that changed how I looked at at this crisis from the air, from the airlines and from the cruise lines perspective. And he, he noted that if you look at the last two major uh, economic uh, contractions uh, slash stock market uh, uh, crashes, uh, what was at the core of each of those crises? So the dot-com bubble and the financial crisis, what was at the core and what did the core do in the next decade? Right? So for dot-com, it was tech and tech lagged for the next decade. Uh, uh, 07, it was the financials. Financials lagged for the next decade. Uh, and so he, him pointing that out kind of changed how I looked at this. Uh, and Ryan, we're talking about the airlines here this morning, and you, it, it's, it's the story that we've known, right? It's, it's exactly that. But your, 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 your remark on that last time sort of changed how I thought about this sort of thing. So cool. thanks for that. Well, I'm glad that something I said stuck with you. So I yeah, appreciate it. That. It really did. It really did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, guys, we just released our 2020 outlook at LPO Research last week. And I was listening, obviously, the last 15 minutes, what we're talking about here. Just the idea that, yes, this was you know, a start of a V-bottom, but we're not in the camp of a V-bottom. We need more like a swoosh, right? The initial surge off those lows is going to be easy. But like these companies are going to be saying this earnings season, it is still so cloudy. Don't forget, last earnings season, about 170 out of the 500 S&P 500 companies didn't even give guidance. That's how tough things are. So, yes, the economy is going to be better the second half of the year. But let's not, you know, get drink the Kool-Aid too much here. There are still a lot of worries. Um, you know, I mean, I'm from Ohio. We've talked about that. I live in South Carolina. Latin now, but they just instituted, you know, the full face mask wherever you go. Other states are doing that. At least they're not shutting down. But believe me, we're not out of the woods yet. But if 2020 taught us anything, it's that the economy and the stock market are not the same thing. Because honestly, stock market still looks pretty good, doesn't it? I, I mean, it does. There's certain sectors that are definitely underperforming mm -hmm. here, though. So that's, you know, the, the issue that I was just bringing up is you mm -hmm. see tech and tech's just leading the charge here again. And then there's the separation and, you know, the airlines and the cruise lines, the retail has really not participated in this recent last three week rally. It hasn't participated mm -hmm. at all. Some of them have been down. So is there a catch up trade here eventually, or is there a reason for that? You know, and I think the reason is COVID that these right. industries are not participating. Now, I think the reason is COVID, like you said. I mean, we had the big initial, some of the bounces recently, but bigger picture, like like, like Spencer said, and like I talked about it last time, it's those industries that are really destroyed during that recession 
tend to underperform for the next decade. It could be yeah. almost as simple as that. But here's the wild one. I don't know if you guys talked about this or not. The NASDAQ was up yesterday, obviously. The NASDAQ has not been down back-to-back days. Today will be the 49th day in a row. Wow. The NASDAQ has been down two days in a row. What does that mean? Well, guys, the previous record was not was 48 days in 1978, the year that I was actually born. So that's the all-time record. We literally are seeing today the all-time record for the NASDAQ to go without being down two days in a row. If anybody would have said that, you know, when COVID started, no one would have believed you. You'd have looked at it like you're crazy. But again, that's just another harsh reminder how strong this move in tech has been. Obviously, NASDAQ's not all tech. I get it. But it's a lot of tech. How strong that move has been, but also just, um, you know, how historic, really, the persistent bid has been. And that makes us, you know, we still, we, I've been with you guys all year saying we like technology still. We still do. But my, oh, my, when I see things like that, it, it wouldn't be shocking at all if we finally had more of a, a little more of a consolidation. But, hey, what are we seeing? The baton gets passed around. Relative strength on industrials is looking good. Relative strength on materials is looking good. I mean, that baton is being passed around. Um, should tech take a well-deserved break, maybe some other groups just pick it up, and that's kind of how bull markets work. What about the precious metals? I mean, gold and silver and silver, holy mackerel. Like the move that this has had in the last three days is nothing short of incredible. I mean, no, eight, from 18 to 21, this is one of the biggest moves I've seen in silver in a long time. Um, so you're right. There is other industries picking it up here in the precious metals. Why, why so much interest in, in, in the precious metals all of a sudden? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, gold, honestly, has been strong all year, right? I mean, gold's been, been we're ship shot away from all-time highs. I think silver is kind of that catch-up trade. I mean, look, I, you know, I don't even know if silver is a precious metal or an industrial metal. It kind of doesn't really have a home. But you look at those other industrial metals. My goodness. I mean, I know you guys have talked about this, but copper, aluminum, nickel. Look at what lumber is doing. I mean, there are some things happening under the surface, which, again, we're not saying we're going to have a rip roaring second half of the year global economy. We're going to see growth, but it's hard to be very bearish, the global economy, when these industrial metals are as strong as they are. And I think silver's playing catch up We've seen the numbers, you know, gold relative to silver, like 50-year lows. What does that mean? Well, silver is about as cheap as it's ever been to gold. Gold's way up here. Silver is just kind of playing catch-up. But all in all, just structurally, I mean, silver is still nowhere near anywhere near its peak, right? $50 way back in 2011, I believe. So there's yeah. a real good catch-up trade. If that's an industrial metal play, which I think it is, that can be good. And here's the ultimate wild card. What does it mean? I mean, tips, you know, inflation-protected instruments, treasuries, they're near all-time highs. Gold's near all-time high. Are we having future inflation? Inflation. Is there worried with gold being higher? Is there deflation? Is worried about COVID? You know, there's a lot of good arguments there, but the bottom line is structurally, we turned bullish on uh, gold like last September, October, and we've got it some of the models that we run for our advisors. And bottom line is going up, and those precious metals still look pretty good. So we're not bearish, you know, stocks. We think they're going to do pretty good the second half of this year. But hey, gold still looks really good, and let's ride that as long as we can. Ryan, here's something we haven't really talked about on our show. We haven't had a need to, but seasonality. And, yeah. and you sent us this chart pointing out that July is historically the strongest month of yeah. the summer. I don't know how comparable this year is to like any other year in history. But that being said, the history shows that July is a strong month. Yeah, it's amazing because, you know, this is we're looking at the best July in 10 years. And if you look at the last decade, like the chart shows, July is one of the strongest months. So, I get it. 2020 is not like anything we've ever seen before. But still, once again, seasonality is kind of playing out. But I think it's that kind of the future. The next couple of months are potentially, you got to use that word potentially, potentially uh, maybe time for that break. And especially in election year, it kind of makes sense to us. But seasonality nailed it again. And I know another chart that I sent you kind of plays along on this is just what happens after a strong quarter. You know, we gained 20% last quarter on the S&P. And wow. sure enough, the next quarter has been higher. 
eight out of eight times, going back to World War II. Two quarters later, been higher, eight out of eight times. A year later, higher, seven out of eight. You get the picture. I, I think I talked to you guys a month ago about this. Some of these incredible rallies we've seen off this bottom since March 23rd are not the hallmark of a bear market rally or not the hallmark of an end of a bull market. They're the hallmarks of starts of bull markets. And it sounds crazy when you see all the terrible things that are happening, uh, you know, globally with their economy, but the market doesn't care. The market is telling us something. Are you going to listen or not? You know, everyone says this time is different is the foremost part of the foremost dangerous words. Well, you think this time is different? The stock market doesn't care about that. So that strength we've seen to me suggests six, 12, 18 months from now, history's told us stocks might be you know good deal higher and you still want to be in them i mean yeah, we have people there, there's reason you know i can just think of the you know the, the trading mechanics reasons behind these numbers is that when you have these big up moves anybody who's short is caught so they're buying any type of a pullback and then you have the fomo from seeing these gains it's like i need to be in there too so it's not surprising that you know big gains be get more gains because you have people chasing and any type of pullback you get, like on this market right now, think about it. If we get a pullback right now, there is money managers scrambling left and right. It's like Microsoft pulls back last night. They're starting to buy the dip already on that. It was 204 and change last night. It's 208 and change. I mean, there's just so many people who have cash sitting on the sidelines looking for any dip to try to get in that. So when you have a strong quarter, it's not surprising that the numbers in the following quarter would continue to be strong. What's, what's a pullback? You used a word I've never heard before. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, look at, look at that Bank of America Merrill Lynch survey. I love this one. It's, you know, $650 billion of people that really manage money. They're still kind of bearish, right? They're still not over the top. They increased cash last month. I mean, it, there's pockets. I get it. You know, some of the day traders and some, there's definitely some froth. There's no doubt about it. But people that really do manage money, They've really missed this. All right. They got they got scared at the lows. They got out. Now they like you said, they have to kind of catch it and have to kind of follow along on the any pullbacks. And that's just kind of what we're seeing. Kind of similar to what I talked about, where big moves like a big quarter like that, all those other times, you know, on that chart you just showed, those big moves in those quarters, they took place after what? After bear markets, after recessions. That's the way the lows happen. But you think about 2009 and 2003, major market low in March, rally into May or June, consolidate during the summer, a little more of a pullback in 2009 and then that extension higher into the, end of the year and it's i mean you know what mark twain tell us history doesn't repeat but it rhymes this year is kind of rhyming with 2003 2009 if that keeps happening second half of the year don't be shocked that we have that surge higher and then the election i know i said just some election charts we get into that stuff but election years tend to resolve higher after the election doesn't really matter who wins market just gets that uncertainty out of the way and that kind of plays in how we see things happening you know once again here in 2020 really Yep, I was just going to pull yeah, that there up. Go. Doesn't really matter who wins. Market goes up regardless. So, uh, <laughs> well, Ryan, yeah. Yep. Go ahead. Nope. I was going to say Ryan Dietrich is a great follow on Twitter at Ryan Dietrich. He's also the senior market strategist at LPL Financial. Ryan, any just final thoughts before we let you go? I am actually, guys. I, I could the chief market strategist. I was promoted last week. Oh, so, so, yeah. True. You get it call right. you chief now. Yeah, we'll just call, call you chief. That's what everybody calls me chief. No, I'm teasing a little bit. But yeah, I'm pretty pumped. I mean, I've worked at LPL for four years. Love what I'm doing, helping our 17,000 advisors, helping their millions and millions of clients and families. And, and um, you know, I'm honored that I'm now the chief market strategist at LPL. So it's, congratulations. It's, uh, it's of, yeah, thank you guys. I, what about not, college football, Ryan? Are we going to see college football? Yeah. I was going to ask you guys. First of all, I was going to say, I'm not too big for you. I'm big fans of Benzinga and Free Market Show. I'm going to keep on coming on, so don't worry about that. But, yeah, I'll tell you, this college football sure sounds like spring, doesn't it? I mean, that's what it sounds like. I hope that's not the case, but 
I, yeah. I just want to see it, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, at, at least we, you know, if that's the case, at least we, we won't lose to Ohio State this year. They said Ohio State might have 12 guys who won't play in the spring because they're all looking at going to the NFL. So they're going to have a totally different team if we play in the spring yeah. versus the fall. But that's kind of the world we live in, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. See you soon. Thanks, Thank Ryan. you. All right, that was Ryan. He was the chief market strategist chief. at LPL Financial. Chief. All right, uh, 15 minutes before we're going to be joined by the CEO and the CFO of Electromechanica, ticker S-O-L-O, on that one. That's Paul Rivera and Bob Euler. Uh, let's do some more earnings, I guess. Uh, we've got so many on our list. Was there any? Well, yet? you're starting to get into the thick of that. Obviously, yep. we've covered some of the bigger companies. I want to take you away from earnings just for a second okay. before we go back into it because uh, we were just talking football there. And there was a headline broken from CNBC last night that the players in the NFL um, are still a long ways off in agreement with, obviously, the owners. And the NFL season is still somewhat, you know, in jeopardy to open or to, to have it, you know, start in September. So we look here and, you know, and, and I think what the players were saying, that's what they said on CNBC, is the players want to be paid for the full season no matter what. So, and they don't know what that's going to look like here. So um, we saw on that initial headline, and somebody was asking about DraftKings, we saw DraftKings last night, if you bring up the after hours chart, sure. tank about a dollar on that headline. And again, by the dippers came in and it didn't really get much, you know, talk after the CNBC, you know, was talking about that. Um, I believe it was Scott Wapner that, that broke that. Um, and you can see last night, you can see the dip I'm talking about where it dipped down. I'm still trying to explain your charts again here, Joe. We might go back to, let me know here. And we need to talk about the charts too. Dennis, Dennis, upper left is a 15 minute okay. chart of, of everything. Pre-market and after hours. So the dip that you saw, it went to thirty-seven seventy-six. No, that was this morning. Thirty-seven seventy-six. Yeah, we got to go to last night. Okay, I'm sorry. Here's last night. Here's the break. The break in time, right? Here's your eight o'clock close. So yeah, you didn't get Dennis. You didn't get much lower in thirty-seven thirty-five. No, no, you got to go further. You can see it on. I can see it on the candle around four four thirty. So we're going to oh, tell okay. you about your charts. You're right. There's an You're ugly right. red candle, and I know I saw it. You know, obviously, I can see it on your chart there now. A little stick there. It went under 37 bucks. It, yeah, it dropped 80 cents right on that headline. They were spooked. I stand corrected. And then it came and bounced right back. So everybody ignored that. But obviously, a stock like DraftKings is very dependent on sports. So, you know, it's good. You know, we've been getting, you know, and again, you could have just played this DKNG in the last four or five days saying, hey, Major League Baseball is coming. Um, we've got, you know, hockey playoffs coming. We've got, you know, some sports coming here, obviously. So, you know, maybe DKNG is going to get some love, and it absolutely has in the last week. So, again, you know, these Spencer Israel pre-event trades continue to work. So if you were buying DraftKings a week ago saying Major League Baseball is coming, um, you're being rewarded here today. So, um, so that's the one consideration. So it absolutely does matter, the NFL. I think the NFL and the players are going to get a deal, though, and I think that's why – you know, they're not that concerned that, oh, yeah, there's negotiations, it's tough negotiations and stuff right now. But I think we're going to have it. I mean, we have a major league baseball season. We're going to get any NHL playoffs, maybe NBA playoffs. We're going to get the sports back. So the NFL, I think, is actually going to be uh, – I think we're going to see NFL. We're leaking here, Dennis. I don't know what you're doing over there, but uh, we're leaking. We're leaking bad. bad. Yeah. Is there some balances? Well, no, that was from the jobs number. That was from, from the uh, jobs? We, the jobless claims. Didn't okay. we have jobless claims at 830? Yeah, yeah. I've been leaking ever since jobless claims. Like, there you go. 30-minute chart. There's what happened. Right. There you go. They didn't like the jobless claims there. We, we were, yeah, we were Ryan on, and we obviously were talking a lot of their stocks, but in, 
to jobless claims numbers they did not like. Can you give those, Spencer? I, I gave them, yeah. They were uh, they actually went up on a week-over-week basis. So the number, let me scroll back in my pro to get the exact number here, but the number uh, 1.416 million claims that was above the estimate and above last week's total. So a rise in uh, jobless claims filed last week. You don't want to see that. So we're leaking here a little bit. Again, is this market rolling over and we're going to, we're eventually due. We've been going up pretty steadily here. We're due for a shakeout. So we're going to get a pullback. Is that pullback going to get bought? I think so. I'll be buying the pullback if it pulls back because I don't see any reason not to. Um, you know, they've shrugged off, you know, the, the virus and without the worries about the virus, there's not many worries there right now. So tech still continues to be the trade. Obviously, we see the reopening stock underperform, but eventually we're going to get some type of pullback in the S&Ps. You know, we have these little little shakeouts the last few minutes, but for the most part, it's been pretty straight up for the last week here again. So we're due for a little pullback, but uh, the pullback is probably going to get bought. DraftKings here. Uh, uh, Dennis, we did identify that. When's the actual start of the Major League Baseball season? Tonight. It is tonight. tonight. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, even if you're buying it overnight DraftKings, you're getting rewarded. I, I, might, I might even watch baseball. Is the Blue Jays going to get a home? No, what's concerned. going on? You, you threw the Blue Jays out of the Major League Baseball here because of COVID. We've so, gone red on the session Canadian here. team in the Major League Baseball, and we've thrown them out basically here. They're we've trying to find red. a home. We're Give them a red. home, Joel. Give them a home. No one wants those. We don't want you guys. I don't know Come what you're going to do about it. S&Ps are not red a major now, league Dennis. baseball season without the Jays. Is there, is there selling balances I, I'm here? I'm bringing us back to stocks here because we only got 10 minutes all left right. for our next interview. What about these? Joel gets a three-point sell off. He gets all giddy over there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, he says, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah baby, with I do get a little bit giddy on those three-point sell offs. <laughs> yeah, it's about time. Don't frown average up. <laughs> now, now the imbalances if you want you've asked twice for them i can give them to you they're mixed pfizer holy mackerel who's buying pfizer 1.5 million shares to buy in pfizer today it's trading up one and a half percent it's opening indication is 40 right now again Sold that will you. change you know Sold what you. if you're in this for a trade yeah i agree i'm in it for a long-term investment i've been in it for a decade so i'm holding on to it but Pfizer's had a hell of a run. It's been obviously on the uh, piggybacking off of this vaccine. They've completely forgotten. We talked about the pullback in June, and I was saying if I didn't own it already, I would be buying it because the vaccine is probably going to carry the stock back up, and it absolutely has. So you're getting up near 40. You're getting up to major resistance. If you're buying this at 32, 33, 34 in the last week, I think it's time to ring the register in, in Pfizer into the open here. I think most of the vaccine good stuff is priced in. It looks like everybody, you know, it looks like almost upside capitulation here today with some big buyer like that. So that's the only one that really stands out to me from an yeah, imbalance perspective. All the other ones are pretty small. All right. Uh, S&P is hanging out unchanged now. We've uh, we peeled back 20 points off that pre-market high. So I am very confident in saying that we're not going back to 84.50 today. We The high for the day is in. You know, I like to keep the difference between – the intraday high and the pre-market high. The fact that we've peeled off 20 handles from that high makes me, man, any intermediate levels. Now that now this even puts in uh, Tuesday's high even becomes a better number at 73 and a quarter. So pretty nice decline here. We'll see what uh, 
We'll see what happens. I, I want to get to a couple uh, tickers being thrown out in the sure. chat. Uh, someone's been very patient about Jumaya Technologies. They've been asking about that for days. JMIA, they did announce an offering yesterday after the bell. They announced a, uh, a $18 million share. It, it is, it's an ADS, but $18 million share offering via selling shareholders. Uh, so, But a great candle yesterday. Do we have a price on that? Uh, no. Because all that matters, once you get an offering, throw everything else out the window. All that matters is that offering price. And I mean, if, where the offering price selling... usually often becomes a floor, it's often a magnet too. So whatever the offering price is, is what matters. And it's also via selling shareholders. So there will, there will not be any dilution. There's not dilution here. And that's a good point to make too. You see, you know, people coming in and saying, oh, this offering dilute. Not every offering is dilutive if the shareholders are selling. But is it good news that the shareholders want out? That's, you know, why the stock sometimes sells off too. In the case of Nicola, I don't believe, I believe their last offering wasn't dilutive either, but they still slammed the stock because they're like, oh, the shareholders want out. So, hey, Dennis, you know, could you just uh, for uh, for Rohan, just real quick, go back that explanation as a floor or as you know? Uh, yeah. So number. and when I look, I don't even look at. And obviously, technicals are important, and we talk about Jemaya has been in an uptrend. So will the pullback get get bought? Yeah. So it's important to look at technicals from that perspective. But short term trading, when you're looking, you know, at you know an offering comes out and stock comes out of the secondary and prices at a nine, there's pressure on that because there's going to be people who are buying it on the secondary that actually get an allocation at nine and they can turn around and sell in the open market at 10, 10, 20, 10, and they're locking in the profits. So they're selling short knowing that they're going to get their allocation. And, you know, and obviously, you know, and there's speculators that are saying, well, it's going to get knocked down by the people who are getting the allocation. So I'll short it too. I'm one of those traders. I trade these things. When the offering comes out and it's way significantly below where the current price is, I short the stock. And then saying that's going to get pulled down. Now, there's a couple exceptions. In the case of, like, let's bring up AUPH. It's a good offering talk. AUPH announced good data, I believe, yesterday. You can see the big pop. And then they announced the follow-on offering to obviously, you know, maybe finance continued. Uh, and I don't follow the story closely enough. But when you see pharmaceuticals and biotechs, you know, do these offerings after announcing good data, it usually is because you know they, they need to finance the next round of trials. So there's a, a good reason for why they want to raise more money. But it's also a reason why when you see a, you know a smaller pharmaceutical company that is you know and doesn't have a ton of cash, you know announce good. Don't just often just you know buy it you know you know right away you know the next day because a lot of times you see a dilutive offering come the next day because they need to raise some cash. And you're seeing that in the case of AUPH. Now, I believe AUPH priced to 15. I don't believe 15 the stock's going to come that low because this isn't, you know, an offering, you know, this is an offering to, to, for, for the growth of the company. So you'll see people come in ahead of that. So on the biotechs, they often don't go down to those prices. On other stocks, they often do. So that's just, you know, the way I trade these things, that the offering price is very important. And you often see the stocks come and test those levels in a lot of cases. In case the U.S. Steel took it out. But those levels are very important. So those numbers where the offering price is, is very important if you're trading stock. Uh, yeah, you know what? That 850 level, or 840, 850 in X, that's still, that was the level they did that. Look at that. Ever since then, boy, it, it has had a hard time getting back above that. Uh, and you said um, JMI, Jemaya was at nine. That was where the offering price I, was I don't at? know if we have a pricing on oh, that. we don't I have a price there, yet. But... I didn't see one. They okay. just announced it last night. So a lot of times they take a day to get the pricing out there. Yeah, 890. I mean, 
There's a pair of lows, 854, 890, so 875 stock taking a little bit of a breather here, but uh, we'll have to see what that, uh, what the price comes out on that. And then, as Dennis said, I it mean, matters. Oh, yeah, five to 10. I mean, if I was really wanting to be patient on this one and I see this moved from five over 10, you know, what I like to, you know, a, a more conservative entry would be seven and a half or eight, but. A lot of times when these stocks leave the station, you know, you never get in on that 50% retracement. So well, we'll see what that price Sometimes is. there's a lot of interest. In the case of some of the biotechs, there's often a lot of interest and they can price these things not that far in the hole. Um, in some cases, there's not that much interest and they got to price them way down. So, you know, JMIA might come out and the offering might be a 950. And then, you know what? It's probably not going to go down much lower than here. But if for whatever reason, I'm just saying hypothetical situations, they got to come out at 850. Yeah. The stock's going to go lower. If they announce 850 and the stock's trading 950, it's probably going down to 9 or 875. So that's what I mean is it, you can't really come in here and say, oh, I'm going to buy this dip right away until you know where that offering price is going to be. And then it gives you a level of comfort saying, okay, well, I know the secondary people aren't going to be just you know selling it to me because they bought it at 850. So uh, th that's how you've got to play these things. Uh, real fast, Bank America, you're wondering why it's trading up late last night. It pays to pay attention to SEC filings. SEC filings show that Warren Buffett is averaging down in Bank America. He's Did buy more Bank America? Bought 34 million shares over the, past couple, over the past couple of days at the average price of $24. So if you're I wouldn't say he's averaging down. He's averaging up. He bought the, he bought oh, the float right. in his okay. bathtub when he was okay. drinking a Diet Coke at six okay. bucks. Averaging up. It, regardless, adding to his stake in Bank America. So deploying okay. capital here this morning or over the past week. That's a vote of confidence. That's a big yep. vote of confidence. What time did that come out? Oh, it was after eight o'clock. It was late. Yeah, you know, because if I saw a Warren Buffett headline that he bought 33 million shares, I'd be buying the stock after hours. But it was at 821, so it's closed. So that's why I, I wonder. I, I wonder watch if, these. There's money to be made on those. I wonder if Portney's going to short Bank America now because Warren bought it. That'd be interesting. Because <laughs> he's fighting, he's fighting Warren all the time. Yeah, it'd be I mean, it's a good vote of confidence. So keep an eye on Bank America today, because you know you, we do see the other banks are trading in the red, and Bank America's bucking the trend in the green. So good eye, Mister Israel. Um, you can see some relative strength in this. People follow Warren Buffett. You know, Warren Buffett, number one. I gave Ackman number two. Maybe we'll get Portnoy number three. But uh, <laughs> just because maybe Portnoy is number one. He thinks he's number one with his uh, retail following. Uh, but, you know, Warren Buffett moves stocks. He says he's buying. People will buy along with him. They try to get and They think Warren knows. And Warren does know in a lot of cases. So it makes me more confident. If Warren's buying my stock, it makes me feel a little bit better, too. I don't own Bank America. The chart don't look that bad, though, Joel. I, I kind of see what Warren's looking at. I don't know that he looks at technicals at all, but <laughs> I kind of see what he's looking at. Stop going down. All right. Uh, I would like to bring on our next guest now, Poro, because there's two. Uh, so let's bring on Paul Rivera and Bal Bueller. They are the CEO and CFO, respectively, of Electromechanica. Let me bring our face up so you can see all of us here. There we go. Uh, I know it's early. Oh, I'm not seeing ball uh, bells. Uh, yeah, I don't know what why the. Okay, we can just hear your voice. I see Paul. So. Uh, oh, there we go. There nice we go. Here. All right, uh, let's get Paul back here. So, Electromechanica ticker S O L O. Uh, guys, first off, you, you tried to sneak this by me this morning, but I did see a press release about 20 minutes ago, uh, maybe a half hour ago, that you uh, you're opening a new a new retail location in Portland. Is that right? 
That yeah, is so we just said we just announced that we're starting another uh, little retail location in the Portland, Oregon area, not downtown Portland, about 18 miles outside of Portland in one of their prominent suburbs. Uh, and that so just paint, paint the picture for us that that brings your locations because I know, I know you've got you've got locations in Arizona and California, LA, you're planning San Francisco, I believe. So can you outline where you have locations right now? Yeah, so we've been very methodical where we started, right? So we launched in Century City first at the end of last year around the Thanksgiving time period, right over Black Friday and into the holidays. And we did that with Westfield first. And then we started to uh, build out with them. And our goal is to uh, do Southern California first. And then we announced that we would expand it to Arizona and then to Oregon. We did Scottsdale Fashion Square with Maestrich. That's a Maestrich owned property there. And uh, these are little retail kind of pop-up kiosk storefronts. And now we've just announced that we'll open up on September 1st up there in Portland, which is uh, at their Washington Square location. So for those who aren't following uh, this company or this story, uh, Electromechanica focused on, uh, I guess the core mission was uh, single, ve single occupancy vehicles, electric vehicles meant for the commuter crowd. Um, Obviously, the last few months have changed everyone's working habits. So how has the past few months and, and this, this, what seems like is some, some kind of a shift to work from home, how is that impacting the way you see things? Yeah, well, at, at the beginning, this was all meant uh, when, the first, when the vehicle was first conceived, you're right, it was all about single occupant vehicles for commuters, right? But then as time went on, and when Val and I came into the company, we really saw an opportunity to take this vehicle into other applications as well, into fleets and utility applications and into rideshare, right? Because the reality is there's so many single applicant, single occupant applications. For example, when you think about delivery applications for pizza, when you think about um, even like security guards to go around and monitor parking lots at night, or if you think about how many police forces, you just there's one occupant in the vehicle going around in the cities and things like that, right? So we're gonna come out with a utility version of the vehicle as well, right? This is an all electric vehicle that has a 100 mile range, right? It has an 80 mile per hour top speed, right? Front and rear crumple zone, side impact protection on the vehicle, torque limiting stability control, all of the same crump, uh, comfort features that you're, you're accustomed to. And then when you think about the, the, the rideshare aspects too, the ability to share these vehicles and go from one point to another point, it's really exciting. But what makes the vehicle super, super unique is especially as we emerge from the pandemic, people are afraid to take mass transit right now. People are afraid to, to get into Ubers right now. People are afraid uh, to, to really get into any other space where there's other people right now, as you can picture, right? So yeah. this is a very, very self-contained environment where you're alone. The only germs in the vehicle are your own germs. And then when you think about that fleet application, just going back to that for one second, when you think about any kind of food delivery where they've spent so much time putting the effort into getting that food uh, cooked and prepared in a sanitary space, in a sanitary environment, and now they're trying to make sure it's delivered that same way, this is the perfect vehicle for that. Can you, I, I'm trying to avoid my own germs. That's, that's the problem. So I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> you, 
to solve that. I, I want to bring Val on now, Val. You've been talking about the transition you're making um, this summer, really, from, from pre-production to production. Uh, talk about that. Where are you on the timeline? Uh, is production ramping up? Talk, talk about that. Yeah, thank you very much for having us on, on your show. Um, in terms of where the, the company is, we're currently in pre-production. Uh, this summer, we will be transitioning into a production company. It's a dynamic shift for the company. It's something that you know started as a, as a vision and a dream in 2015, and now we're gonna be able to make it into reality. So we're really excited about where we are right now, and um, we're just about to turn that corner in the next little while. And, um, and that's just an exciting time for us um, as a company, as an organization, as an executive team, um, and as everyone that's worked so hard to get to where we are, it's, it's gonna be a big momentum shift in terms of where we are going to be, um, going, from, going into production and then going into revenue. So like later this summer as in like July, late August basically? Uh, um, in the very near future. <laughs> near future. Okay. Uh, yes. How does that impact things like your, your cash position and maybe need to need to raise money? Because going from one stage to the other is, mm -hmm. is, is a big shift. So talk about that. Uh, well, we um, during the past few months, we've really been able to de-risk our balance sheet. Uh, right now, we have over $51 million cash in the bank. Uh, so we've really worked very hard from a a strategic operational level, as Paul has alluded to, and he'll be able to talk a little bit more about the solo ecosystem as well. And also from the financial side and being very strategic in how we carry out our plans to make sure that we have a very succinct pathway to success. Um, we're, we're looking towards um, the next uh, 12 to 18 months and we're strategizing in terms of what we're doing. So, you know, the big thing was um, making sure that we have de-risked the company financially from the balance sheet to make sure that we don't have roadblocks um, when it comes to the financial aspect. So when do you see uh, Electromechanical being at, at full production capacity? How far off is that? We, we won't we won't be there for for a little while. We have capability of producing up to twenty thousand vehicles per year out of the facility in China, and just the way Bal and I have planned the production right now, we want to be very very careful. It was all about first getting the engineering right. We've gone through great lengths to make sure that we've done that, and uh, we'll launch like I said methodically first on the west coast. Make sure that not only engineering was right, but the customer engagement model is right in our, our retail footprint because our retail footprint is very unique. It's just a pop-up retail location. So we don't have big, heavy brick and mortar storefront kind of approach, right? It's, it's an incomparable vehicle with an incomparable launch strategy and a very asset light production strategy, but it's all about getting it right in, in a very slow, methodical ramp up. Um, so uh, we have the capability to produce 20,000 vehicles per year, but It'll be very, very slow, methodical in the first year. A couple of questions about production here. Uh, you've got production facilities, uh, mainly in, in China, but also in Canada. Um, you've outsourced your production in China. Uh, I guess that, that, that was by design, but are you concerned a little bit about just the escalating tensions between uh, the US and China? Yes. And because and, 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 that is where you have your production. 
Yeah, we have one production facility right now. It's an asset light production facility. We have a production partner called Zhangshan Industries, massive partner, and we've leveraged them. Uh, they, they make about 3 million motorcycles per year, and they're based in Chongqing, right? And they have 400 acres under roof and 50-ish joint ventures around the world. But what we are doing is we're looking for a U.S. assembly operation. So we started uh, with our partner, BDO. We've looked at, uh, we started with seven states, and uh, we've narrowed the search down to four states. We've, we've looked at land and facilities in Arizona. Next week, I head to Florida and to Tennessee and meet officials in both of those states as well to continue the search. But the whole idea is we'll bring kits in from China and we'll use a global, a global supply chain to de-risk and to uh, mitigate the tariffs from overseas. We'll tap into a US supply, uh, US supply of talent and um, go after the largest EV you know, market in the world. So of course, we're very, very focused on um, bringing down our cost to the bill of material, first sure. of all, but secondly, mitig mitigating against those risks between Xi and Trump. I also saw Colorado and uh, North Carolina on, on those. Colorado lists. was eliminated two weeks ago, but North Carolina is still in the running. Uh, is there an estimated timeline on when you might have a decision on that? Yeah, so we'll announce, we'll announce who the finalists are in the next few weeks and then we'll announce the final state probably around thanksgiving time period and start construction right after the beginning of the year with the goal to be open by the end of 2021. all right i'll ask this question uh to uh, bal again some questions from our chat here who were your competitors because it, it's not quite other single occupancy like I, I hear single occupancy i think like motorcycles and i think like scooters and it's not quite that so like, who are your competitors, if, if they even exist? I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, we don't really have a true competitor um, because the solo is so unique, it's, it's so trendy. I mean, as Paul alluded to, um, the test that we've done on, on the vehicle, it's three wheels. But when you sit in it, it feels like you're in a cockpit. I mean, you've got the you've got all the perks that you have in in just a regular four wheel vehicle. So we don't really have a true competitor. We're very niche. We've created a niche market called Solo Drive, and and with Solo Drive comes with uh, the Solo Share. It'll have the Solo Utility, which is commercial fleet. So we've we've really tried to create a big ecosystem that's all around the solo market and it's very different from what you're going to be able to do because 76 76 percent of the people are actually driving by themselves um, there's so many applications as paul was alluding to on the commercial and the delivery side whether it be pharmaceuticals whether it be food whether it be packages whether it be um, uh, for tech campuses or universities there's so many different applications of that. So because it's so unique and, and different, it really is in a category of its own. And that's what we've really created. I mean, there are other um, uh, vehicles out there, but they don't really compare to what we actually do and what we're actually trying to create. And, uh, uh, and as Paul has alluded to, and as an executive team, you know, we're really focused on making sure that this market, this niche market that we've created really expands through the rest of the global um, transportation industry because we've really disrupted that. How do you convince people on what is essentially a, a new form of transportation, right? It's, I mean, 
there, there are no single occupancy cars out there, at least to my knowledge. So how, like, how do you convince people to buy this, buy this sort of thing, you know? Well, there's, there's two aspects. One is the commercial and the fleet and the utility side. And then the other aspect is the commuter. So it seems like you're talking about the urban commuter right yeah. now. And um, if you sit in this car and you take it out, it is a magnet. I mean, it is, it is. A, it is a magnet. I mean, absolutely. You, the car goes out and people come in herds around it. I mean, all sorts of people. So I don't think our, our challenge is going to be on the sales side. It's, it's basically uh, what people are realizing that the, the purpose is purpose built for what we really need to do. Yeah, I think Spencer, as minimalist. Just to, add to, what, to, to add to what Val is saying, I've been involved in some of the most exciting vehicle programs around, right, because of my background in the automotive space, working for technical consultancy prior to this role. And I'll, I'll tell you, when I drive my solo around, whether it's to go get groceries or go get a, a bagel somewhere, it just attracts people, right? And when they find out that it's at a price point that they can afford, um, you have everybody, it's a typography, right? It's the people who are early adopters in technology, um, typically the same people that like to go after iPhones and galaxies and want to be first, that are eco-friendly and that are probably minimalists that realize that, hey, this is, this is what I need to go to do, to do my shopping and go to the gym and go get my bagels. And this, this is perfect. This, this is really a really cool vehicle, fun and exciting to drive. It's a really unique uh, vehicle when it comes to the consumer side and for the fleet applications it speaks for itself it's just for utility and fleet it's just a really really cool product and um, just it's it suits a need and it's in a space all by itself between micro mobility and passenger car and um, again uh, we think we're going to kill it we're on with Paul Rivera and Bob Bueller, who are the uh, CEO and CFO, respectively, of Electromechanica. Uh, do you have uh, guidance as far as production for this year or deliveries for this year? Uh, currently, we're not providing guidance at this point in time, but eventually we will be providing guidance. And then uh, how do you guys explain the, the recent dramatic uh, rise in, in your stock as, uh, as sort of the entire electric vehicle trade is, has has kind of come to the forefront over the past yeah. couple of weeks or couple of months. I mean, you know, I obviously, think, obviously you don't control that, <laughs> but I how, think how that do you the, explain uh, that? I think that this, well, first of all, as you, I, I, I was listening to to you, you gentlemen talk right before we, we hopped on the, uh, on, the, on the call with you, right? The space is high. First of all, the space is just high and you see what's happening with Nikola and Tesla workhorse. The space is hot to begin with, right? But I think that in our case specifically, I think people who have been following us, they know that we're about to um, go into production. I think that Val's point about going from pre-production to production is, is a big one. So I think that they know that we're about to go into production. I think also um, they re recognize that we're expanding our retail footprint. So that's a big one. Um, I think that they recognize that as we emerge from the pandemic, we have something unique to offer. And it's a really fun, exciting, trendy vehicle that looks very, very different. And it offers people the opportunity to go and be in a self-contained environment. So I just think that there's lots of compelling reasons why uh, this vehicle and our stock 
should be exciting right now. This is exciting. And when you think about the ecosystem, when you think about the 19-year-old the, uh, the kid or the 18-year-old kid who would be driving one of these vehicles to make a delivery, first of all, for a food delivery company, and then parks it on a charging system, yep. and then gets in, then walks across the parking lot, gets in his own personal solo, and puts on the Bluetooth, and is driving home, and then passes you know, a, a charging infrastructure and sees a bunch of these being shared in a city and then goes into his garage and puts it on the, uh, the charging station in mom and dad's garage. That's what we're talking about here. This is the ecosystem that we're trying to build. And this is exciting and people get it. And people realize that the world of transportation is changing. And you combine that with what's happening in the global world right now. And we're launching in the States first. And then when you think about the fact that we're gonna build out a US facility for assembly, and then launch the global vehicle at some point, a couple years down the road, a lot's happening for us and people get it. Uh, Shri out of the chat uh, stole one of my two questions. Uh, the first question would be um, safety standards um, yep. on this car. I mean, being in a smaller car. And the second thing, like when I think about like one person vehicles and whatnot, I mean, is it discouraging you when you look at like the like the chart of like Harley Davidson and, and something like that with the single vision? Uh, to me, like people that you know want to be in a single, you know, vehicle to drive, you know, the motorcycle market is to me that those people would be appealing to. But yeah, just real quickly, safety standards and then uh, competition from you know the motorcycle industry. Yeah, the safety standards. Uh, not for us. The vehicle is registered as a motorcycle, just to, to clarify, because it is a three-wheel oh, vehicle, right? Okay. And, but just so you know, my background, more than you know, 30 years in the automotive space, right? When I came into the, to the company, I wanted to make sure that occupant safety was the number one, number one goal for me was occupant safety, right? So we went ahead and we made sure that we applied a lot of the same NHTSA safety standards that are in passenger cars. So we went ahead and applied a lot of the same NHTSA 214 standards and NHTSA 216 standards that are the same as in passenger car. So not all of them, of course, because this is a three-wheeled vehicle, right? But we do have front and rear crumple zones, triple side impact protection. And like I said, we put torque limiting stability control because for me, I want to make sure that first of all, I can sleep at night, right? But also so that we can really look at a consumer in the eye or a fleet operator in the eye and know that, that uh, we've done everything we can, even though it doesn't fall into a passenger car category and protected the occupant as best we can in that category that's, that's a different category, right? So that's on the safety side. And am I worried about these other, these other players who are, who are motorcycle manufacturers and, and have been around for a long time? No, I'm not because you know, they, they, they have their businesses and their business model and their legacy supply chains. And they've been doing, they've been doing things for a long time in a very specific way. This company, which was birthed in 2015, was birthed with an innovative, imaginative, visionary thought concept to capture a very, very different mindset of people that was meant to revolutionize that space between micro mobility and passenger car. And we've done it, if you think about it, we've done it with less than 80 people and we've done it with um, less than $80 million total over a period of six years. But with 
very, very, very deep engineering expertise in that period of time, right? It's hard for companies that are, are very focused in very, very specific mindsets to make changes like that. And we've been able to do it very, very nimbly, very, very flexibly. And I'm proud of what we've accomplished. And I think that, that others will come along and try to do what we're doing. And I wish them success, by the way. And, and I think that they'll come along and catch up to us at some point. But in the meantime, I think we have something very compelling to offer because we're integrated. When you get into the vehicle, like Val said, it's a cockpit. You've got the Bluetooth. You've got air conditioning, heated seats, power steering, power brakes. You feel like you're in something really exciting and unique. Yeah, it feels like you're in a car. Not it not, does feel like you're exposed, in a car. not exposed to the outside. Uh, we, we've now with Paul Rivera, who is the CEO, and Bal Bueller, who is the CFO of Electromechanica. I uh, look in our chat here. We've got a steady balance of bulls and bears, and that's what makes a market. So, guys, I know it's early. We appreciate you coming on. You're in, out in Vancouver, and thank you for waking up early for us this morning. We appreciate thanks so much, gentlemen, for having us. We appreciate it. All right, thank guys. you so much. Stay safe out there and these crazy times you too all right um that'll be it guys for uh, our show any final thoughts joe and dennis if not i'll just wrap it up here but um that was a good interview so thanks to again to bell and paul cool, for cool looking cars i just stayed back and i was just learning yeah. a lot and i was like well i didn't even know like I, I never looked at the solo i know the stock but i never looked at the cars and i was on the website i was like yeah it's a cool looking little cars i don't know if i'm gonna buy one but because i have the four people but i mean if you're just by yourself eh, maybe and they've also got, uh, I think, a concept for a two-seater uh, as well as uh, uh, that is not yet in production. Anyway, uh, cool story. Check it out if you're into it. If you're if you're bearish, that's also cool too. That's what makes the market, like I said. Uh, so I want to thank our guests today, all, all four of them: Paul, Bal, Ryan, and Mark. Uh, we tried to cover as much as we could, so we appreciate the feedback in our chats. If you liked that interview, please hit the like button on our video, subscribe to our channel. That'll tell us to get more interviews like that uh and without that feedback i'm gonna assume that you didn't like it so um we appreciate all the input in the chat as always please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes and not for investing or trading advice uh joel and i will be back at 3 40 p.m eastern time at the same uh place on youtube youtube.com slash benzinga tv until then everyone have a great rest of your day and stay safe and good luck You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.